Cause we got the alternative energy Molecular free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello and welcome to the Radioactive Show Today we'll be continuing to talk about AUKUS The Australian, UK and US military pact With a focus on Western Australia Where the campaign is shaping up We'll speak to longtime peace and anti-nuclear campaigner Joe Valentine, who, among many great accomplishments, was elected as a senator in Western Australia in 1984, representing the Nuclear Disarmament Party. We also speak with Sam Wainwright, a councillor at the city of Fremantle, and he is currently a disability support worker. And before that, he was a warfie for over 12 years. First up, we'll jump into our conversation with Joe Valentine speaking about the origins of AUKUS. Where I think this all started to go really wrong was the forced posture agreement organised by Prime Minister Abbott and signed by Julie Bishop, Foreign Minister, in 2014 and 15. Now, that forced posture agreement should be scrapped. I mean, it's a much more damaging doctrine than the ANZUS agreement, you know, which we had from the 1950s. This is serious and it's got lots of details to it. But what it basically means is that the American military has unfettered access to any base in Australia, Australian base, and then, of course, they've imposed some of their own as well. You know, I mean, like we have the Marines in Darwin, we have the Tyndall Air Force Base being upgraded to take B-52 bombers, and, of course, Pine Gap has ever been there getting more and more sophisticated. So this AUKUS submarine deal is just an add-on to all that has gone before. It's, it's terrible. I think it's been brewing for quite a long time, and most people don't really know much about the Force Posture Agreement because it wasn't given a lot of publicity. Like a lot of these things, done very much on the quiet, people hadn't heard about it. I mean, I've only read the whole document in the last few months, you know. I mean, and I'm somebody who watches this space. I knew it was there, but I hadn't really realised, you know, chapter and verse, how terrible it is. So I think that this kind of agreement, what on earth the Brits are doing wanting to get involved in the Asia-Pacific region, I don't know. They vacated the area. They left the room, as it were, back in 1942. And uh, now suddenly because it was Boris Johnson, uh, Joe Biden and ScoMo who organised this, three stale old white men, you know, and they had probably been hatching it for quite some time. But what it does do is put Australia in America's front line against China. This is a war that they're actually gearing up for. It's just awful to even say that, to even think that. But America... They go to war all the time. You know, they've had 18 years, I think it is, only eight, it's less than 20 anyhow, of years since independence that they have not been at war. And again, most people don't really realise that. They are the ones who, you know, they make money out of war. Their arms manufacturers make money out of war. It costs a lot initially. Of course, it costs lives. It costs the environment. It's just dreadful on so many fronts. But for some people... It actually makes money, and it's all about the Americans trying to maintain their uh, exceptional status of superiority globally, and we're hooked into it. You know, even though China is our biggest trading partner, well, it's everybody's biggest trading partner, really, but we should not be getting sucked into the, a war against China. 
China. Then there's the nuclear aspect. You know, this is what's really troubling about these submarines. I mean, there are many things troubling. One, it's a, a very long time frame, 30 to 40 years. Things can change dramatically in the geopolitical uh, situation globally. Uh, drones will, are becoming more and more sophisticated. There are now uncrewed submarine, you know, drones that can go and find out where submarines are. So I reckon they'll be obsolete before they ever arrive, if they ever arrive. There are too many things that can go wrong. You know, huge time frame, things change, huge budget, absolutely awful. And the biggest risk to our security is not China, but it's the climate crisis. The word climate, I listened for it in the budget speech and I didn't hear it once. You know, the government is... Um, they've gone, they're doing a SCOMA, really, on the climate crisis. They're not paying attention to the most urgent security problem that we have. So Labor is very, very disappointing. And from a you know, young anti-nuclear enthusiast, uh, Albanese seems to have had his head turned by the Americans, as has Miles. So they go to the United States and they come back and they've been seduced. It's just... It's not new. This has been happening for a very long time. But actually, we should get on to the nuclear aspect. The yeah. fact that these um, submarines that we've been uh, promised or that we've signed up for uh, will have nuclear reactors on board is very, very upsetting for our Pacific neighbours. Contravenes the South Pacific Nuclear Free Zone Treaty, I would say, because we're not meant to have anything nuclear in our country. And um, the highly enriched uranium which is in these nuclear reactors, which will power them, you know, is sending all the wrong signals as far as uh, keeping the nuclear genie in the bottle is concerned. We, we are moving in completely the wrong direction and could fuel another arms race or encourage other countries to think, well, if Australia can go nuclear, so can we. This is all meant to be about nuclear power, of course, but the reactors in those submarines, once they have... Reach their use by date after 30 years. Nobody knows what to do with the waste, but the government blithely said, Oh, yes, Australia will deal with the waste. Well, nobody anywhere on the planet has figured out how to deal with highly radioactive waste, you know, at the highest level. So there's no answer to it. And yet our government has just said, Oh, yes, we can manage that. And as for the expenditure, when we have so many other things that we should be spending our money on, $360 billion, and that will blow out. I just heard a program on the ABC actually talking about big projects. They are always behind time and always blow out, oh, 98% of them, almost always. So that's not even a final figure. But right now, we are promised an $8 billion upgrade of the Sterling Naval Base, which is not far from where I live. And that will be to take the Virginia-class submarines, which the Americans are going to lend to us or make available to Australia so that Australian submariners can be trained and the nuclear industry can be geared up here to deal with all the complexities involved. And then Joe Biden has the temerity to say, well, there won't be nuclear weapons on board. Oh, no, they'll just be nuclear-powered. Well, that is rubbish, absolute rubbish. A nuclear weapons-capable platform will have nuclear weapons on board. I had that from the mouth of a former uh, U.S. naval admiral. 
after he resigned, a man by the name of Gene LaRocque, he told me that. He said, if a platform is nuclear weapons capable, it will be nuclear armed. So where are these Virginia-class submarines when they visit Sterling or as yet unnamed port on the East Coast? Uh, where will they be dropping off their nuclear weapons before they arrive in our ports? I mean, it's just laughable. It's just so stupid. And yet the Australian Labor Party, the Australian opposition... The Australian media just seems to swallow these assurances because it's the President of the United States feeding us these lines. There are many, many worrying aspects to the whole question. Yes, as we saw with the uh, nuclear-capable B-52s that the US yep. is going to be stating at the Tyndall Air Base, the government came out and said, well, we won't be knowing either way whether they've got nuclear weapons or not and we won't be asking that well, question. That, that old policy of neither confirming nor denying, I mean, it really isn't good enough. It is just appalling that an Australian government can be so uh, loose with the truth. We know that if... uh, I mean, what would the B-52 bombers be doing coming to Darwin if they hadn't got their nuclear weapons on board? They're ready to go. And they're ready to launch from Australia into uh, Chinese space. I mean, if you're sitting in Beijing, just look at all the countries to the southeast of China which are either uh, American bases or hooked into an American alliance. The United States has 700 military bases around the world. The Chinese have one overseas military base, and it's at Djibouti on the east coast of Africa, which they put in place all some years ago now to uh, be part of an international group to try and deal with piracy up and down the east coast of Africa. That's the only base they've got outside China. I know they're spending a lot on the military, but it is nothing compared to what the Americans are spending on upgrading their military. Again, we don't get those figures uh, told to us. We're just told, oh, look at Chinese military expenditure. It's gone up by a whole lot. Well, yes, it might have, but it's still nothing compared with what the Americans are spending. I don't want to sound like an apologist for China. There are lots of things about it that I don't really appreciate, but... I think uh, no country is perfect and we have to look after our trading interests in that area and not just be sucked into being the fall or the first place. When We wouldn't be the first, actually. There's Guam and uh, Okinawa, which are American bases, which are a bit closer to China. If push came to shove and the Americans started firing in defence of Taiwan or whatever other excuse they want to concoct, it's countries like... Uh, Guam, and then Australia, which will cop the wrath of the Chinese, and understandably. Mm-hmm. So we are not doing ourselves a favour. However, right now I'm looking at a request for a parliamentary inquiry into the whole orchestring signed by a lot of very significant Australians, and it's really, really good that we have uh, a p- proper, full public inquiry into this, which is one of the biggest deals that the Australian government has ever agreed to with anybody about anything and there was virtually no preparation for it. In fact, Albanese uh, agreed to it within 24 hours because he was afraid of being wedged by ScoMo into a khaki election. But he had the opportunity during the following 18 months when they were working out more of the details, he had the opportunity to say, look, 
Australians aren't going to like this. Sorry, we can't proceed with this. It wasn't a deal at that stage. It was just a proposal. Now it's a deal, and he's let us down badly. It feels like a massive betrayal. If you wanted to finish by just talking about the campaigns in, was it the 70s and 80s, to stop nuclear submarines coming Oh, to... yes, just visiting, absolutely, yes. yes. What are some of the lessons from that campaign that you think we could bring forward to what we're facing mm. now? Well, we certainly have to um, make a fuss about it. We can't just let the government think that they've got away with, a, a, you know, sliding into this... The, it's sliding this AUKUS deal into the Australian so-called defence area. and uh, we, we have foreign affairs and we have a military arrangement here, which is devastating. But to, to go back to what has happened before, it's interesting that stop AUKUS groups have sprung up around the country. So people are on the move, definitely on the move, to let the government know, and this is our job, we must let the government know we, that we disapprove in the strongest possible terms to Australia going ahead with this. So many things can go wrong with it. I think it might fall over. But that doesn't, stop, uh, doesn't uh, preclude the necessity for us to be active. So we'll be down at Stirling Naval Base whenever those submarines start coming, which will be in another two years perhaps when the Virginia-class subs start coming. The, uh, the um, other ones, the astute class from Britain, also will be visiting to, you know, doing us a favour, of course, in their terms. But we have to rally and we have to um, make our voices very, very loudly uh, heard. I can remember one fabulous time that we were down at... Um, the gates of Stirling Naval Base when a French nuclear-powered submarine came in and we'd made a paper version. We had the greatest fun smashing it, you know, in front of the gates. So we'll be doing things like that again. We'll be out there. We will also be trying to bring the Australian community with us because as soon as you start talking about the extraordinary amount of money that is going to be wasted on this uh, deal which might fall over and the subs, if they ever did appear, would be obsolete by the time they arrived. Who knows whether we really need any submarines at all. But, I mean, Paul Keating pointed out that we could have had we could have had 40 conventionally class submarines if we really wanted to patrol around Australia in defence of Australia, which would be OK. <laughs> That's a, a, a thing that we could be uh, having instead of these eight very, very expensive and very difficult to manage nuclear submarines, which would entail a whole nuclear industry springing up in Australia around them to support them. And we just don't want that. So Australian people, we need to be busy. We need to get very busy on this. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for joining us on the show. And uh, we look forward to hearing more from you soon and about the growing campaign in Western Australia. You're tuned to the Radioactive Show, produced in the studios of 3CR on unceded Kulin lands, Fitzroy, Victoria, and broadcast across the continent thanks to the Community Radio Network. We just heard there from longtime anti-nuclear and peace campaigner Joe Valentine. 
to follow what is going on and to get involved you can find the anti-orcas coalition which has active groups in all states and many regional areas too and there is an action that you can take right now you can make a submission before the 26th of may to the senate committee inquiry which is reviewing a bill that would change our environmental and radiation protection laws to allow the nuclear submarines to operate it's called the defense legislation amendment naval nuclear propulsion bill 2023 and you can find the links to that on the stop AUKUS wa page on facebook we'll also provide links on the podcast notes for this program go to 3cr.org.au forward slash radioactive up next to hear more about what's happening in western australia a conversation that i recorded with sam wainwright when i was in Fremantle last month sam thanks so much for speaking to us on the radioactive show it's a pleasure firstly could you start by introducing yourself yeah, sure. Look, I've been an activist in a whole range of different campaigns over, over the years um, and a councillor at the City of Fremantle uh, for 12 years, but also uh, was involved in the foundation of the group Stop Walkers WA, which got going probably about 18 months ago now, but obviously has just taken off with the recent um, Orcas submarine announcement. Yeah. So give us a bit of an overview of what's planned for here, because obviously we've heard that Nuclear-powered submarines are going to be starting to visit here this year, is it? That's right. So, in fact, British and US nuclear submarines are already already visiting at the Stirling Naval Base at Garden Island. Obviously, there's been occasional visits by nuclear-powered and armed vessels in the past, um, so that's not new. But under the so-called Forward Posture Agreement, that's really going to escalate. So... You might be aware that the forward posture agreement involves both the B-52 bombers being uh, doing ro- rotating out of Darwin, British and US nuclear submarines operating out of Australian ports, including Stirling here in WA, and also more sort of uh, US soldiers based in Australia as well. So I think that's something that's really important to bear in mind is people need to appreciate that even though the, the AUKUS submarines aren't here yet, uh, and we're told that they won't have nuclear weapons on them. Whether we can believe that is another is another thing. But uh, the point is, under the Ford Posture Agreement, Australia already effectively is hosting nuclear weapons, and that is going to intensify. So it's it's no longer the case that Australia can just say, "Oh, well, we don't host nuclear weapons. It's just some ships or you know vessels uh, visit every now and then, and they and they have their nuclear powder, they have nuclear weapons." Australia effectively is now hosting nuclear weapons uh, through the Forward Posture Agreement. And I sort of wonder, you know, know, people often speculate, will will the submarines ever arrive, you know? Or maybe they won't, you know, so far off, so many moving parts, there's so many things that could stop or go wrong, you know, Mm. politically and financially, all that kind of thing. But the whole discussion around AUKUS and the supposed China threat and all this sort of stuff has been used to accustom Australians to the idea that we will now be hosting nuclear weapons mm. and all that goes with that. And so what kind of response have you seen here in Western Australia? Well, look, it's it's early days, uh, but certainly just like everywhere, there's been a huge outpouring in 
you know, in response to the AUKUS announcement. I mean, we knew it was coming, but the fact that the cost of the submarines, you know, in the space of less than a week went from, what was it, $180 billion to $270 billion to $368 billion and counting mm-hmm. in less than a week, like with no, no public debate, you know, no... You know, not taken to an election, no vote of parliament. It's just, it's just staggering. You know, just to see that that sort of that kind of money can be committed so quickly, in, in such a in such a manner. Let alone all the environmental and you know strategic questions that are involved in it. You know, about the future of life on Earth. Um, so I think probably, um, although although it was terrible, uh, a, ter- a terrible thing to see you know money committed in that way. That that has actually helped our campaign because it's it's just made it. Uh, our, our campaign, you know, to, to, to stop it basically, because it's just so extraordinary, and it 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 just it really shows into sharp relief the government's priorities, and so it makes it much easier for us to say, well, look, you know, they're um, they, they say there's not enough money to to increase, you know, the job seeker allowance, or they say there's not enough money for, you know, for for, for public transport or hospitals or environmental repair or whatever it may be, but you know, they just find this money for August just like that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that, that's been quite interesting. In fact, we want a dimension to our campaign is um, nuclear free Coburn Sound. So Coburn Sound is is essentially the the area um, off the coast of Perth, which is formed by by Garden Island. So the predominant weather, you know, on on the west coast comes from the southwest. So Garden Island effectively shields the the the, the water immediately off Perth um, from from that weather and forms what is known as the Coburn Sound. Um, and it's also a place where ships anchor, you know, while they're waiting to come into port, uh, whether in Fremantle itself or a bit further south at Quinana. Uh, so, yes, our campaign is for a nuclear-free Coburn Sound uh, because, of course, the ships will be at, at Garden Island. It's at the Stirling Naval Base. So that's an important sort of dimension to, it, to, to, our, to our campaign here. Uh, it's an important dimension to the Stop Walkers campaign, just like this, you know, at Port Kembla, you know, which has been mooted as a... Um, as the east coast base for the submarines, that that's really energised their campaign. Uh, you know, it was just by coincidence, really. We had planned to do a kind of a photo shoot event down at the at South Beach um, at Fremantle to launch our nuclear free Coburn Sound campaign, and it was literally the day before when um, this announcement, the August announcement, happened, kind of thing. So. Um, the positive to that is it kind of guaranteed that we got sort of you know mainstream media coverage and that kind of thing and it has really energized the group since so it's really um, yeah you know we, we want to run a strong campaign against um, nuclear submarines in Coburn Sound without it being a kind of a NIMBY campaign I mean obviously there'll be some people who are just concerned about they don't want the nukes in their backyard um, but I mean, the name of our group is Stop August WA. So we, you know, we're saying we don't want the nuclear submarines in our backyard. We don't want them in anyone's backyard. So uh, we're just really gearing up the campaign now. Uh, some of the features of it is we're doing uh, petitions that are targeted to, to each of the local governments that border on Coburn Sound. So they are Fremantle, Coburn, Quinana, and Rockingham. And so we're doing separate petitions targeted to each local government. And we're going to work very hard to get just people from who live in those respective local governments to sign the petition. So the, the point is that the petition doesn't have, you know, 10,000 signatures from people all over the globe, you know, like it happens with a lot of electronic petitions. But we, we actually, we, we want our local councillors to, to, to see 
um, that people in their street have signed this petition, you know. And the petition will be calling on local governments to support a nuclear-free Coburn Sound. Now, we know they don't have the, the, the jurisdiction, you know, to, to make that so. Um, it's, uh, it's under the power of the federal government. But, you know, something that was very much the, the, the declaration of a nuclear-free zone by local governments in the anti-nuclear and anti-war campaigns of the 1980s was a very important symbolic thing. You know, it was about our community saying we don't want this in, you know, in, in our community. And we, so we want to, we want to encourage our local governments to do the same thing again, you know. Um, so City of Fremantle, for instance, already, you know, is sort of declares itself as a nuclear, nuclear-free zone. Um, and that sort of dates back from the 1980s and sort of is almost forgotten about. Um, we want to give that new life. And if, it, if it's to mean anything uh, in 2023, then it's got to be opposition to these, these submarines being stationed. And the petition also, you know, asks our local governments to, 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 to say to state and federal government, well, you know, what, what are the safety procedures, you know, if it's an accident, you know? At the moment, it really, it seems like it's, well, if there's an accident with the submarines, they just tow it to off Rottnest Island somewhere which doesn't take it any further away from the population centre, takes it closer, if anything. So it's clear that there is no real plan, you know. Um, they haven't really thought that through, just like they haven't thought through what would happen with the nuclear waste. So that's that's an important de- dimension to our campaign here in the West. But, of course, we'll just be taking up all the themes that the anti-nuclear um, campaigns will be taking up everywhere around the country. One thing that we're just taking up now, basically, so we've got an action coming up um, on the 27th of May, um, is fight climate change, not war, you know. Um, and it's, that's something I'm very passionate about, is really just trying to make people understand that there is just there is no way known that we, as a society, as a global society, can be spending absolutely billions on, on a new Cold War, let alone a hot war, and fight climate change. I mean, we do face an existential threat, you know, to our way of life. And it doesn't come from China, first and foremost. It comes from climate change. And it's just, it's mind-boggling. I just, in fact, I just saw today that the increase in global military spending from 2021 to 2022, just that increase, is more than the total UN finance, you know, uh, global finance, uh, you know, climate finance commitments, you know. So it's just... This is mind-boggling stuff. Like we, you know, we are staring at this existential threat, and our governments want to spend money on war machines. So it's it's pretty full on, you know. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, when you live in Western Australia, I mean, Western Australia is the, is the kind of epicenter of the fossil fuel industry as well. Like we've just just overtaken Qatar as the world's biggest exporter of LNG, and so the, it's an absolute climate bomb. Even just the the, um, the Scarborough gas field at Woodside. Mm-hmm. Is planning to open is you know um, the the if you consider consider all the emissions from production through to where they're burnt you know that would be four times a darning in terms of the emissions so it's yeah like I think you know we're kind of in the the belly of the beast here in the west yeah. you know confronting both the AUKUS thing and 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 and, and the threats to the climate but we've just got to um, we just got to do our best you know yeah is there much coordination work with people in other states around these actions obviously you've got a really local focus campaign but beyond that um yeah yeah look we're, we're tied in with the with a national um anti-orcus coalition which is forming uh and so obviously sharing ideas with them and participating in their hookups and 
and that kind of thing. So there's a fair bit of cross-fertilisation that's just taking place organically. It probably needs to get a little bit more structure to it at, at, a, at a certain point and all that sort of, you know, difficulties that go with that. But that's just just, just, just what we have to do, basically, uh, and re-energise the, um, the anti-war, anti-nuclear movement in a way that I guess we didn't, you know, we were maybe a bit naive and a lot of us didn't think we'd have to do, you know. Um, you know, I'm old enough to have been taken to the big anti-nuclear marches when I was like 10, 11 years old by my mum, you know. Yeah. Um, I remember what that was like and that sort of outpouring um, at a time when, you know, people really did, you know, that, you know, it was before we were aware of climate change in the way we are now, but, you know, people really did worry about the possibility of nuclear war, you know. And of course, that's never actually gone away. Um, and now we've got a rude, rude reminder that now you know and that if us by hosting um u.s nuclear forces in this way um you know worst case scenario makes us a target in, 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 a, in a horrendous event of nuclear war you know so that sort of you know now so now we've got the dual existential you know human created existential threats of of of, of climate change and of nuclear war you know um you know, which is not a cheerful thing to dwell on. You know, um, as I said in the, in the nineteen eighties, that that fear was quite. Uh, you know, in in that sense, as an older person, I can relate to the kind of existential fear that young people have about climate change. You know, I remember as a, as a kid asking my dad, "Oh, what what would you do if nuclear war was declared?" And I remember him saying, oh, "I'd grab you know you and your sister. I'd put you in the car and I'd drive to the spot where the bomb was going to drop. If you know you know where we thought you know what I mean? Because you, mm-hmm. you 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 your the fear of of surviving for a couple of weeks, you know, in the radioactive fallout was was greater than the fear of dying straight away. You know what I mean? Um, so it is quite it's quite a shocking reminder that 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 has never gone away, and now we have climate change on the top as well. Um, but you know, I'm an optimistic person and believe that you know that the majority of people are good. It's just the people who rule us are not so good, you know. But mm-hmm. so we've we've got to build, build movements for change. You think about everything that's. All the social progress that exists in, in Australia, um, stretching over the last 120 years, I mean, and more, I mean, all of it, people's movement for change fought for and won, you know. I, I can't think of any really significant thing that's improved life in Australia, you know, trade union rights, votes for women, Aboriginal citizenship, whatever. You, all of those things have, have, you know, have required, you know, um, creative, diverse optimistic movements for change that have faced a lot of difficulties and now we just now we face you know face the biggest one of all so uh, that's that's how I approach this question yeah yeah and related but changing tack a little bit I know on the east coast we've been tracking the influence of the military industrial complex in the education institutions, funding, yeah, like the subs in schools programs and all these different STEM programs, as well as setting up departments in universities. Is that something that you've been watching unfold here as well? Yeah, look, this idea of, you know, uh, really pivoting Australian universities to embrace this sort of... um, military industrial complex kind of push is pretty frightening and of course it you know predates the AUKUS announcement as well mm-hmm. for some time now it's been sort of bipartisan policy that Australia should be you know a cutting edge um, arms exporter basically and so that's already starting to happen 
Um, and so now we're seeing it more explicitly talked about, uh, you know, post the August announcement about um, gearing up our universities for this for, for this thing, including here in the West. I mean, that sort of manipulation or skewing of tertiary education, of course, is not new to us because we have it with the fossil fuel industry as well, you know. It's, it's considered normal in Western Australia that, that being a former fossil fuel executive makes you qualified to be a VC of a university, for instance. It's like, what? Like... My, my pet cat's got more qualifications than than, than than these people to be a VC, you know, like it's just, it's absurd, you know. And the idea that, I, you know, new new schools at universities need, need to be funded by grants from the fossil fuel industry, um, you, you know, if you're not from Perth, you have, you have to see it to believe it, you know. There is there is not a big sporting or cultural event um, or program or that's not sponsored by the fossil fuel industry, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, uh, you know, we're, we're seeing the same sort of thing happen with the military stuff. You might remember there was, you know, just recently um, there was Australian arms exports to, to Saudi Arabia have been approved, you know, and Richard Miles was asked about this and he, he sort of said, you know, well, it's clearly, you know, it's it's met all the, you know, the requirements of Australia's sort of standards on these things. I mean, if, 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 if your standards on military exports, if your checks and balances authorise, you know, exports to Saudi Arabia, then they're meaningless, you know, Um I mean, this is this utterly mad stuff. I mean, the I mean, the war in Ukraine is terrible, but like, if you know, most Westerners aren't aware of the four hundred thousand plus civilians that have died in the civil war in Yemen. You know, which Saudi Arabia has been actively promoting and fueling. You know, I mean, the irony here is that China's actually broken a ceasefire. You know, whereas the West was happily just funneling in arms, Australia included. So this is horrific stuff. So, yeah, it's um, you know. I think the whole orca stuff is, is orca stuff is also being used to normalise this idea that Australia should be should be a, a leading weapons exporter, you know, yeah. which we absolutely have to stop. You know, this stuff is just crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of world do we want to live in? You know, Australia as a country should be exporting renewable energy technology to the world and partnering with countries of the global south that that have a right to, you know, they don't need weapons, but they do need they do have a right to industrialise. They do have a right to, to more energy, um, but not following the path that, that we in the West followed because we know that would destroy the environment. That's the place that Australia should be occupying in the world, not expo- exporting arms. So it's yeah, it's pretty frightening stuff. If you, you know, I mean, if you want to put it really pessimistically, you know, sometimes some people say to me, oh, you know, the Australian government's not preparing for climate change. And it's like, I'd say, well, they, they are. They're, they're preparing for the consequences of climate. They're not trying to stop climate change or mi- mitigate it. They're preparing for the consequences of, of climate change with, with war, you know. Um, that's the frightening reality. And, you know, of course, there's an element of, of global warming is already built in, you know, but the best the best kind of society that that we have for confronting that challenge is a, is a society based on human solidarity, you know, yeah. not one based on them fighting for arable land or resources or whatever they, they want to do, you know. The, the other kind of, you know, when they re- released this defence review just recently, you know, um, which talks about essentially marks a shift from, you know, a defence policy being shifting away from defence of the Australian mainland to collective security in Indo-Pacific, which mm-hmm. really just means Australia has a right to send its army overseas, anywhere, do whatever the hell it wants, you know, um, and gear up for a war with China, basically. And that review almost, you know, mentions climate change and almost describes it as a distraction. You know, the, the Australian military is being distracted by these calls to help out with emergencies, you know, like the floods in Lismore. I mean, this is this is the kind of totally surreal way this stuff is being talked about. You know, once again, we don't need the military spending. 
and we certainly don't need to be a, an arms exporter. We, 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 need, we need to confront climate change. And if people want to find out more about the campaign or get involved, what's the best way? Sure, look, they can drop us an email at stopaukuswa at gmail.com or check out our Facebook page, stopaukuswa. That brings us to the end of today's Radioactive show. Thank you so much to Sam Wainwright and Joe Valentine from Anti-Orcus WA for chatting to us on the show today. And the Stop Orcus WA group have got an action on Saturday the 27th of May at midday at Pioneer Park opposite the Fremantle Station. Fight climate change not war, nuke free Cockburn Sound. That brings us to the end of today's Radioactive show. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks very much to the Friends of the Earth Melbourne's Nuclear Free Collective for the ongoing financial support and to the Community Radio Network for getting the show out across the continent. Tune in again next week for more news and views on nuclear peace and energy issues. You've been listening to a podcast produced at 3CR Community Radio. It's Radiothon time. This is where we ask you, the listener, to stay tuned, stay radical. This year, we need to raise $275,000 to keep the station going. Any amount you can afford makes a big difference. It's so easy to donate. Head to 3cr.org.au slash donate. We rely on the community support, so please be sure to donate and stay tuned, stay radical in 2023. Thanks for listening.